thank you, Lord, for your word to us. And as we come to it, we pray that you would make us ready to receive your word, that you would help us to listen with new ears, with open hearts, with lives that are willing to be transformed by you, Lord, and for your life in this place. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So <clears throat> I want to start today with a pop quiz. Okay, are you ready? All right. Jesus said a lot about who he was and what he was doing. And one of the ways that he talked about himself was as the Son of Man. So, feel free to shout it out. Who can finish this sentence? The Son of Man came. Good. Okay. Keep going. Okay. Not to condemn sinners, but to save us. Great. He's, he said it more than once, more than one thing. So, who, who else wants to give it a shot? The Son of Man Okay, good. Anybody else? To save, to seek and save the lost, right? Yes, good, good. That was good. Jesus did come for all of those things, and he said he came not to serve but to be served, to give his life as a ransom for many, to seek and save the lost, to serve, to seek, to save. These were all of his purposes. But today I want to talk about his method. You see, Jesus also said The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Eating and drinking. In fact, let's start by looking at that passage. Turn with me to Luke 7. In this exchange, the Father, Jesus is telling the people that John the Baptist is indeed a prophet sent by the Father to be a messenger who prepares the way for the Lord. But in this passage, in Luke 7, The Pharisees have rejected John because of his asceticism, his rejection of fine food and clothing and drink. And so Jesus says, For John the Baptist came, neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. And likewise, those same people rejected Jesus. And he goes on and says, The Son of Man came, eating and drinking, and you say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. Jesus is pointing out that the religious elite, those who were supposed to be leading people closer to God, refused everyone the Father had sent because they didn't align perfectly with what they had hoped or expected or really what they wanted from those people. The good news for us today is that God often acts in surprising ways. His unusual path is often lined by people's doubt and rejection. And these are, in fact, the circumstances of the story that we're walking into in this sermon, in Luke 14. You're really close. You just flip flip seven chapters over, uh, and we're going to land at Luke 14. Now, in this story, it's the Sabbath. And Jesus goes to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee. And at the very beginning of this passage, we're told that Jesus was being watched very carefully. It was not unusual by this time in Jesus' ministry for the Pharisees to be actively trying to find fault with Jesus. And at this dinner, they had placed a man with dropsy in order to see if they could bait Jesus into healing on the Sabbath. And this is something that Jesus had, in fact, already done in the presence of the Pharisees in earlier miracles. So, 
Jesus does heal the man with dropsy, and then he notes that any of them would have helped a son or even a farm animal if that farm animal had fallen into a pit. So, of course, why wouldn't Jesus help this man? And the Pharisees, what do you think their response is? Silence. Nothing. A person has been healed of a terrible disease, and they are unable to celebrate and give glory to God because it doesn't fit their agenda. Despite a constant barrage of divine activity, they have seen Jesus perform miracle after miracle, heard him teach time after time, despite invitation after invitation for the Pharisees to recognize the work of God and join God in his renewal of all things, these religious people remain unchanged. But Jesus doesn't give up. See, at the root of their unwillingness to recognize and participate in what God was already at work doing is their pride and their addiction to power. Power and pride are destructive to our spiritual health. Not least of all because they lead us to want to be in control rather than trusting that God is in control. And that's not the way Jesus followers should be responding to life, right? Jesus followers are people who exhibit the opposite of pride and addiction to power. Jesus followers are people who exhibit humility. And humility means that we do not expect special treatment for ourselves, nor do we offer special treatment to others because of their rank or their class, their skin color, their gender, any of those things. Rather, we recognize the intrinsic value of every human being because we were all made as image bearers of God. Amen? So Jesus talks to the Pharisees about what it looks like at a banquet, much like the one they were sitting at, to not seek power and to not give in to pride. And he tells them, after they have all been seated, that they should actually take the least prestigious seat at the banquet table. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who who humbles himself will be exalted, Jesus says. Now, this might all sound like a bunch of nice platitudes to us 2,000 years removed from this context. But what Jesus was saying at the time was radically disruptive to the social order of the Jewish people in that day. And this dinner party was getting more and more uncomfortable every time Jesus opened his mouth. It started with the contention over the man with dropsy, and Jesus blatantly pointing out the hypocrisy of his hosts and the other guests. And then he moves on to essentially lecture the dinner guests on their lack of humility and their issue with pride and power and status. And you can bet at this point that people were starting to scoff and have side conversations. Can you believe this guy? Right? So it's at this point that Jesus turns to his host the prominent Pharisee, as they are all gathered around the table with other well-to-do guests, and he criticizes the guest list. See, the custom of that day was to invite people over to a banquet in the hopes that they likewise would invite you to a banquet at their house. 
people were interested in being repaid for their kindness. And so basically, people just invited the popular kids over in a never-ending attempt to climb the social ladder. It was an opportunity to getting good with people who were a little further along than you, had a little more status than you, could show you honor by seating you in places of honor. Jesus was basically calling everyone there a social climber. And instead, he says, instead of doing this, what you should be doing, what you should have done, host, is to invite the poor, the vulnerable, the marginalized over. Invite the people who could never possibly repay you and who, truth be told, you probably wouldn't want to be seen with anyways. Invite those with the greatest need and show them the greatest hospitality. This type of invitation disrupts power and subverts pride and ultimately grows in us humility while bringing a bit more of God's shalom to the world around us, God's peace and wholeness. So, let me ask you now, does anybody here have a a conflict-avoidant friend or family member? Anybody? Let me see. Are you the conflict-avoidant friend or family member? Anybody here? Everybody else is. Yeah, not me. You can only imagine the level of tension in the room by now. So thick, you could cut it with a knife, right? And it's at this point that one of the guests, the conflict-avoiding guest, likely trying to relieve this tension and see if they can maybe move on to more polite conversation, says, well, blessed is the one who will eat and feast in the kingdom of God. We can all agree on that, right? But Jesus still doesn't give up. He will not let this go. Without missing a beat, he launches into this parable, and it's as if he's saying, actually, let me tell you a little bit about that, too, while we're at it. This is what he says. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, there is some necessary cultural translation needed to understand what's happening in this parable. The term great banquet tells us that this is quite the affair. It is not a spontaneous dinner party, but something for which invitations would have been sent out in advance, and RSVPs would have come in much earlier. And as was customary, since they didn't have text, Uh, The master of the banquet would send a servant on the day that the party was to tell the guests when the party was.
party was ready so that people didn't have to stand around waiting. So suddenly the crime at this point would have been the epitome of rudeness. Yet the crime guests did. Jesus says, but they all alike began to make excuses. And then he gives us three examples of these excuses, and they are all essentially people prioritizing the wrong thing. And some of these excuses might feel really foreign to us today, but I think we actually make pretty similar excuses. I can't come. I have to inspect a property. I'm super busy with this house remodel. I have to see some oxen. I am totally slammed at work. We're going to stay in tonight and have a date night. I'm an introvert. I need some me time. Your plan doesn't fit my agenda. Jesus is saying to the religious elite, God has invited you to a great feast, and you are missing it because you are choosing your own priority and your own way and your own desires. You're choosing yourself again instead of acting in humility. A humble person would be grateful and amazed that the host had prepared such a feast. But you are taking this for granted. And you know what? You are going to miss it. Theologian Daryl Bach points out that what is crucial to understand here is that the party goes on. Despite the original invitees not coming, the party is not postponed. Others are invited to take their place. Opportunity has been lost by some. Grace has been extended to others. But the meal is still served. The question is on which side of the divide Jesus' listeners and Luke's readers fall. God's grace continues, but we can miss God's blessing if we don't respond to Jesus. So how do we, in this modern time, respond to this parable with our everyday life, starting now. One of the things that I love to do when I'm working with parables is to think about who I am in this story. So who is in this story? We have the host, the guests, the original invited guests, the servant, the poor, and the marginalized. I feel when I read this parable like God is so clearly the host here, right? It's hard for me to imagine putting myself in that position. But, you know, perhaps sometimes I am the invited guest. Are there places in my life, in my sphere of influence, where God is inviting me to join his work, but I am prioritizing my own agenda? We talked about this a little bit last week, right? About, about recognizing where God was already at work in your family, in your neighborhood, in your community, recognizing where God was at work and joining him in it. Perhaps there are some here who identify with the poor and the marginalized. Many people come to know Jesus from a place of great struggle and separation. And perhaps you are a person who feels like God went out and sought you out and invited you into a community that you weren't originally a part of. Perhaps the Lord saved you from poverty or addiction or abuse. If this is you, then I hope that, that you live this joyfully, remembering, as Rachel Held Evans writes, that this is what God's kingdom is like. A bunch of out- 
table, not because they're rich or worthy or good, but because they're hungry and because they said yes, yet there's always room for more. Personally, as I've come to this parable over and over again, the most intriguing person in it to me has been the servant. He is the one who is sent in this parable. His master, the host, sends him out, the word says. He is sent out into the streets to gather the poor and the vulnerable. He is sent out to the edge of the town to invite in the marginalized. He is the sent one. And likewise, any person who calls Jesus Lord and Savior is a sent one. Identify those people in your community. Do you have people here in 
talking to our poor? You do, right? Do you have people who are marginalized or vulnerable? You do, yeah. And so think of those people today and in the days ahead and consider how it is that you can invite them, not, not to your church necessarily, but how can you invite them into your presence as you give them and show them the love of Jesus. And that might be as simple as inviting them out for coffee. And you don't have to have every answer. You don't have to have a plan to tell them uh, who Jesus is. You don't have to take a track of the four spiritual laws. You don't have to do any of that. Feel free from all of that. It's just about meeting them and being present with them, inviting them to be present with you, person to person. And in your presence, if you love Jesus, you will show them Jesus' love. It's the first step to inviting people into the beautiful land of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for your word and for the ways that you invite us into your feast, into your epic party. And we don't want to hoard that all for ourselves. We know that you didn't invite us uh, just to sit and be with you, but to be sent out. So I pray that each person here would feel sent they would go out, that they would find where you are already present, and that they would invite others to come and join you. Hear us now, Lord, as we think of those people and places that you are calling us to love and show your mercy and grace to. You know, I want to invite everybody, uh, if you know of a person or a situation that needs prayer, could you go ahead and, and share that? And I will say, this is our prayer to the Lord, and you can say, Lord, hear our prayer.